the new channel. The new channel. Hashtag TNC now. The views, opinions, and insights expressed in the following shows are those of the host, producers, guests, and viewers. They do not necessarily reflect the position of the channel. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to the new channel. Our passion transforms a community channel that sees all things new. My name is Jennifer Nuya, live streaming from Cavite, Philippines. You're watching Stories from the French. those who are tuning in for the first time stories from the fringe aims to push for my for more diversity equity inclusion and belonging in all aspects of our lives we are committed to creating a world where individual differences like gender class ability among others are not only understood and accepted but also celebrated we can all be a part of this collective vision to make the most of our time together we encourage you to turn off all distractions Prepare to take mental notes and just allow yourself to be fully focused and engaged with our guest today. Today, I'm happy to welcome on our show, Team Green. Team Green is a 55-year-old Canadian who has been living and teaching in Asia since 2005. And he's been living and teaching in Japan for over 15 years. He's a lifelong student and this includes Almost everything includes kite surfing, photography, fitness, and travel. His formal education ended in Bachelor of Science in Psychology with focus in neuroscience. And his informal education will never end. And he, he typically listens and reads um, to, a book, to a book every week including management, psychology, grip, marketing, creativity, and many others. Tim is a founder of his own consultancy firm in neurocognitive leadership. He helps business leaders to do what they do best and even better by applying simple, ancient, and modern techniques backed by scientific research and by his own experience. Welcome to the show, Tim. Hi, thank you for having me. We're happy that you're here with us, Tim. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate being here. All right. To establish a common understanding, can you please explain to our viewers what is the science and neuroscience of leadership? Oh, okay. So it's sort of simple because it's science in general just applied to leadership there's no real difference in fact the best analogy i could give that most of your audience is likely to be familiar with if they have uh, an internet business or an internet-based business is a b testing um, and the reason i say that is because it's one of the few things that business does consistently that is specifically around 
taking an idea and then testing it in the real world, right? That's that's objective uh, objective testing or objective feedback. That's the the core of it. It just so happens to be focused on insights from neuroscience and cognitive psychology, but not limited to that. So it's basically just focusing on applying science to the the interests and topics of leadership. Mm -hmm. And why is it imperative that leaders practice this? Um, it's imperative because unfortunately there is um, a lack of factual practices mm -hmm. that are used and widely because of the motivations and the way the internet and media works is you can make exceptional claims like, oh, our attention span is only eight seconds, which mm -hmm. is absolutely not true, but that's popular. Things that things that will spread and things that mm -hmm. will get clicks, regardless of their scientific foundation, become supposed common knowledge when in fact they're pseudoscience. And when people start following principles that aren't true, simply because they spread in media, well, they're not going to get the same results of, you know, we don't, um, we don't, when we, when we get in an airplane, nobody questions the validity because everybody knows the science works and we bet our lives on that when it comes to business practices and relationships and things and, and leadership, there are techniques out there that people use believing they work with no, no real proof. It's just, you know, their friends talked about it. So they believe it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So motivations is um, one of the many reasons why aren't there more leaders who are implementing this. So now that if there's a leader, and I'm sure there are many leaders who are listening right now, how can they start implementing, implementing this in their own organizations? Well, I mean, it really comes down to taking what we knew, what most of us know intuitively. It's mm -hmm. just sifting between what we know intuitively and then verifying it with science, right? Like people think that the full moon, I'll give this as an example, just because it's famous. People think the full moon causes people to act crazy. Mm -hmm. There's no, there's no truth to that whatsoever. But as an example, if you believe that as a leader, your expectation, now we get into biases, your expectation of what somebody says at work is colored by your belief and your knowledge that there's a full moon. And now they say something that could be a joke or mm. could be serious, but you're filtering it through these moon mad colored glasses. Mm. And you start interpreting what they say differently and that therefore affects your decisions and how you respond to them. There's an example of where a superstition could get in the way of how you manage and relate to your, your staff. It's like, well, I expect them to be crazy today because it's a full moon, so I'm mm -hmm. not gonna take what they say seriously. Well, if you know that full moon thing is a complete myth, then you can just say the, the moon is irrelevant the phase of the moon is irrelevant to what they're saying. So we can remove that bias from what they say and how we communicate. Mm -hmm. All right. So um, you, you're you now um, saying that some leaders might have biases, right? So some biases can be, uh, can be overt or some can be covert. Now, right. if, for example, I'm not even aware that I have these biases, then how can how can I help myself move forward? Well, there are practices you can do, and none of these are really mysterious in the mechanics. The science behind them might be fancy, but doing them is not. And as far as biases, we can make it much simpler than that. We can't say, in fact, it would be incorrect to say that some of us have biases i can assure you absolutely with 100 percent certainty that we all have biases that affect the way we interact and the judgments we make all of the time so the most popular one or the most commonly known one is called the confirmation bias um 
And really all that means is that we selectively, like in the case of moon math that I just talked about, we selectively search out and selectively remember any information or ideas which support what we already believe and selectively forget and ignore any information or ideas that do not support what we believe, that what we call disconfirming evidence, right? So these are always there. So the perfect example of that is everybody in the world who is adult, an adult and is a driver, now they've done this probably in every country, but in North America in particular, for some shocking reason, 90% of drivers are better than average, even though that's statistically impossible. That's an example of confirmation bias. We all believe we're great drivers, but that can't be possible based on the statistics alone. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a very good uh, example that uh, you mentioned because there's this one funny meme that I've uh, read somewhere, I just can't remember it, about driving. People feel that they are better drivers than most if the, if the person is... Um, for example, ahead of them, ahead of them is really uh, driving so fast, they think it's a maniac. But if the person driving ahead of them is very slow, they think it's either a woman and or an old person. So that's a bias. It's always the other person's fault, yeah. but not theirs. So right. yeah, I think that um, I also have the tendency for a confirmation bias. But I think this is um, this is difficult to overcome, at least for myself, because the the social media is not helping mm -hmm. us in a way. For example, with uh, with the, with how the algorithms work, if I click on something, even if it's not what I was really looking for, and I just spent a couple of seconds or minutes just browsing through the article or browsing through the video, then the algorithm will automatically assume that that is what I really want, right? So the next time that I log on, it will give me similar videos, it will give me similar articles, but in fact, that's not what I really like. So mm -hmm. that in, in a way feeds on the confirmation bias. Would you agree? I would agree so wholeheartedly you can't even imagine. In fact, uh, I'm trying to think of the academic who said it. It may have been Robert. No, it wasn't Robert Cialdini. It was um, Niels deGrasse Tyson, the famous physicist. Mm -hmm. um, he said that the internet and its algorithm are a confirmation bias. And you're completely right. Now, one of the main things we can do as uh, individuals and 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 as a group is to one to be aware of the confirmation bias is to at least to some degree be capable of counteracting it but this is where we can use the um the genius of the crowd the genius of one another mm -hmm. we can and this goes into what we were talking about before before the program started about the pre-mortem a uh, pre-mortem and and that kind of thing and that is we can either ourselves, when we are learning something new, seek disconfirming evidence, that is seek information that cancels out. It was like, well, I believe that I'm a good driver. I was like, well, okay, is there a way we can find out whether that's true? Mm -hmm. Yes, there is. But also that when we are together, we can um, help each other say, is that true? That's oftentimes mm -hmm. what I do when I'm doing a video or an article and it's like well you know i have heard that widely maybe i should check it before i go sharing that with people as though that is the truth because i'm not certain and that's one of the reasons i found out about the eight second attention span thing is i checked for myself to see is that true i doubted it but i didn't know so i actually looked so this is something we can do for each other and within ourselves. So number one, be be aware that we all have confirmation bias acting upon us at all times. And two, seek out disconfirming evidence or have somebody else in each meeting. It was like, okay, 
Does everybody believe this is true? And somebody goes, okay, since we all believe this is true, let's try to find some evidence to show that we are in fact wrong. Mm -hmm. And the more difficult that is to find, that is when you actually go looking for it, the more likely you are to actually have an accurate sense of that business issue or that, that idea. So if you look for the information and you can't find information to disconfirm what you believe, then it's more likely that what you believe is correct. Mm -hmm. I love that. This is the first time I'm hearing about pre-mortem because coming from the corporate after the implementation of a project or an activity, we usually do the post-mortem, but never the pre-mortem. Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty sure that our audience are, uh, is also appreciating this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, so, just out of curiosity, should I define pre-mortem? Because I'm not sure that that's a commonly understood word. Yes, please. Yes, please. Oh, okay. So a pre-mortem is the opposite of a post-mortem. It means at the be beginning of a project, before and especially when you're at uh, gates, depending on the on the system you're using for your decision making and implementation, it is essentially projecting your mind into the future, time travel in a sense, as uh, Daniel Kahneman would say, that you are imagining, if we do make this decision and go forward with this action, what is the worst possible outcome? What would that look like? So if we imagine we do the project, and it becomes a disaster, what would have happened to bring us to that disaster, but also to do the opposite? So you look at the worst possible outcome and what would potentially lead you there before you take the action or make the decision and then look at the best possible outcome and what would have led you there. So you start at the end and then work backwards going, okay, what would be most likely to lead to the desirable outcome we want? And now you've one of the reasons you do this is exactly what we were talking about, the confirmation bias, is you're looking at disproving your successful outcome and mm -hmm. adding in these new variables before you make the decision so you're sort of balancing out that uh disc uh, you're adding in the disconfirming evidence before spending any time or money now you're better informed and more likely to make a good decision about how you move forward with your project mm -hmm. i hear your team in that respect uh but you can only you can only plan so much we have what mm -hmm. we say murphy's law right that if anything's anything bad can happen it will happen so shall mm -hmm. we also consider that when we do the pre-mortem of course i'm actually sort of an anti-planning guy in a sense that is and again kahneman in in his book noise he talks about this a ton and really what it comes down to is we have to also get over ourselves in imagining because that's what Kahneman did. His specialty was about decision making and mostly our not only our biases, but our, our all of our biases and something called noise, which is that we make decisions inconsistently. If we're in a bad mood, our decisions are different than if we're in a good mood. Same person, same same situation, different decision. So that's his latest book was about that, what he called noise. Um, so of course, we absolutely have to acknowledge that there are so many unknowable things that what you're doing is you're just making your best effort based on the known variables. At the same time, you should always be, I, I think of this, I, I usually call it immediately actionable solutions. That is, from where you are right now when you are have sort of made the decision and you know what your destination is you have the main trajectory that you know what you can do immediately that you have control over but anything beyond the second the day the month people who make five-year plans I, I just shake my head even a month plan is probably unrealistic but you want to do as much as you can but you're absolutely right. We have no idea what we don't know. Anybody who believes that they did, I want to ask them where their um, COVID plan was. 
who's whose five-year plan included COVID? And we already know the answer is nobody's proving your point. So I'm very much in support of do as much as you can based on the knowledge you have, but absolutely be ready to adapt continuously and immediately because mm -hmm. that's the reality of, of life is we don't know far more than we do know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay, so this what I'm hearing right now is an antithesis of what I have been hearing for for a lot of years now. Like some people that they will ask you, what are your uh, what what is your five year plan? What is your ten year plan? And now you're saying ditch the the five year plan, adapt. So shall we adapt the goal or shall we adapt the strategies towards the goal? So. Well, I think it, it's in the language in the language we use. There's nothing wrong with saying, here's where I want to be in five years. The problem is when we set up specific actions or ideas, assuming that we have this the we have basically the arrogance to think that we know well enough what's going to happen. So your target doesn't need to change. So your destination doesn't need to change, but just be ready in a moment's notice, don't be so attached. If you over plan something, you're mostly wasting time because by the time you get there, you're not gonna know what the conditions are. So it's more like, and Adam Grant talks about this. I loved what he says. He says, you don't need to know, you don't have to have a plan to get there. You simply need to have a compass or mm -hmm. something of, to that effect. And that's essentially it. You should assume that as long as you have a target destination, you will be continuously adjusting your plan. And a lot of gurus have talked about this in the past. It's like a, a plane or a ship is off course 90% of the time. That's the essence. So you make a clear target. Then all you can do is roll back to where you are right now. And the next immediate steps that are within your control that you can act upon. Everything else is the best speculative plan you can make with the information you have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's why this makes the iterative or iterative approach very useful. You don't need to amass all resources, spend a lot of time before you go out and release your product. You can start with your minimum viable product if you want to release a product or a service and make experiments along the way, tweak it, improve it based on the feedback of the customers and the other major stakeholders. That's beautiful. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, that's really what it comes down to. You don't have to like it. In fact, this goes to the essence of the whole neurocognitive or scientific leadership is whatever we think we know until it interacts with I usually say the universe. I'm not religious, so just the universe. Until you until you test your rocket, it's all educated guesses. Yeah. Um, and we have to balance that against with minimum viable product. It has to be, at least in my opinion, about specifically what kind of product it is. Because unfortunately, what I find as a consumer and having a background in um, uh, product development that there's a lot of products out there that were let uh, the minimum viable product concept and its implementation to me is best in a sense, mostly kept behind the wall of R&D. If you bring out a product that is fundamentally inferior because you want the market to basically do your R&D for you, then you've let it into the wild too soon. So there's also a balance between that. Right, because if you if you put out a terrible product, it's not people's job to do your R and D for you. And yet, I see a lot of physical products because they're manufactured. It's not easy to roll back, or it's not easy to change when your molds will cost you tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. Unlike software, so software, sure, you can put it out, kind of broken and not perfect, and then manage your customers' expectations. But if you have a physical product, you should be pretty far along the path. Otherwise, what are you going to do? Are you going to change all your molds? Are you going to re 
uh, retool your entire factory because you put out a product before it was ready. So I think mm -hmm. that's where for products where you can't roll it back inexpensively or quickly, that you should be pretty careful about finding an optimization between getting it as good as you can before you put it out and making it not so good and then not wanting to change the molds. I have a product that, um, or a product that I bought in Canada 20 years ago and then bought 20 years later here in Japan and it's still got the same fundamental flaw. It was like a food mm -hmm. processor and it's still got the same fundamental flaw that they never fixed because they probably didn't do enough live testing before putting it out. And why did they, they just won't change the molds. It's still good, but it could be made fundamentally better at a very basic level had any of the engineers actually taken one home and used it themselves. Seriously, 20 years and it has not improved? It's identical. So I don't want to identify the product and maybe get sued by a mega no, no. <laughs> But suffice it to say that there was uh, the, the, the way you put the lid on is unclear and it's not intuitive, right? So from a user experience point of view, it's counterintuitive. The shoot is the shoot closer to the user or further from the user. Mm -hmm. And I know this is a problem because when I used it 20 years ago, the first one, I had problems. And when I used it 20 years later, after having used one for years, I still broke it accidentally because there was nothing to make it obvious or impossible to put it on incorrectly. So mm -hmm. literally it could have taken a, a giant yellow label or something to say, you know, user side or uh, far side, something that could have made it very obvious mm -hmm. the way it must go on or make the design such that it was impossible to put the lid on incorrectly and it would have solved it. But remember, this means retooling something complex injection molds that could have cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars and only somebody like me is maybe going oh you could have made that better at first yeah, yeah. <laughs> i sometimes also think of that myself when i encounter such products all right mm -hmm. so um we'll go for a short break and after the short break we'll continue the conversation sure thank you
Greenfield District. The Future Ready District. Home to Greenfield Tower with its state-of-the-art fiber optic internet backbone. Connectivity is built right into residences like Twin Oaks Place. 15 flourishing hectares right at the heart of Metro Manila so that at work and at play, we can plant a future where dreams grow. Greenfield District, the future ready district. The new channel is an online alternative media platform of online shows for people on the go. Please watch all our shows as seen on the screen. Imagine having your own show, your own playlist, your own content, but we make it easier for you. TNC aims to transform the lives of our viewers through engaging authentic and original content. Our channel is a responsible global 24-7 platform that showcases Filipino talent, global influencers, cultural intelligence, and ingenuity. Thank you so much for always supporting Stories from the Fringe, spending your Thursday mornings with us. We're live streamed every Thursday, 10.30 a.m. Philippine Standard Time. You can watch live or on replay via Facebook or YouTube. Follow us on IG, listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just search hashtag TNC now. For sponsorships, please email now at a new channel or send us a DM. Enjoy these life-changing shows because we made them just for you. And we're 31 days before Christmas. How time flies. Next week will be the first First day of December. So before we went on a break earlier, we were speaking with Tim Green, who is based in Japan, and uh, his background is in psychology with uh, with focus on neuroscience. So far, what we have learned so far is all of us, all of us have biases. And some of these biases can be implicit. So far, he has also shared with us what are the things that we can do once we have identified our biases in order to overcome this. So let's um, call in again, Tim Green. Hi. Hello, Tim. All right, so we were discussing about pre-mortem uh, pre earlier and how we can mm -hmm. make some tweaks along the way. And of course, we are saying that don't, um, we're not saying ditch the, the angle. You can always use that as your North Star or your compass. But as you go along the way, you navigate, there might be some things that are within your control or outside your area of control. So, um, now the question that I um, I have in my mind right now is how do you know or how will you know when to um, when to pivot or when to change your strategies? Um, that's a good question, and that's where we get back to the science. You look at the fancy word is uh, empirical, empirically derived or objective feedback, right? So. This is when I made that analogy to A-B testing. A-B testing, you don't speculate, you don't plan, you don't guess. You put up your two web pages, your two pictures, whatever you're doing, you test one against the other and you see which one performs. So it's mm -hmm. as simple as that. You need to be continuously mindful. Whatever you're doing is like, is it working? Now, this isn't assessing to death because that's like, over planning it's a fundamental waste of time but that's why it's such a good idea 
to have that, as you said, very well, North Star always in mind is like on a daily or weekly basis is, is this heading me in the direction I want or the direction we want? And is it, is there anything we, we might want to tweak to increase this speed? Because this is another thing Kahneman talked about in the, in noise as well, was that actually we're far better and, and this goes to both science and especially things like kaizen everybody's like oh we must have a number actually and as a science guy it took some time for me to decide this was the case but he clearly shows that we're actually better at relative scales that is are we moving faster or slower is that does that strawberry smell more or less delicious than this strawberry? Is it sweeter, more uh, more sweet or less sweet? So that I always think in terms of that trajectory is like, is the trajectory you're on taking you where you want to go? And if it is, you may not want to change it, but if you want to test, test it to see if you can increase the mm -hmm. speed of moving towards your target, well, then that's when you introduce some version of the A-B testing. Should we do more um, live podcasts? Should we focus on specific topics and be willing to test on whatever sort of rate you want to do? But in general, you just need common sense. It's like, is this working? And how well is it working? And then decide whether you want to modify it or take what you're doing and test it against something that has been adjusted in some way, ideally just like an A-B test with only one different variable. So you understand what is making the difference. That's mm -hmm. the scientific aspect of it. All right. So this analysis, A-B testing, and then post-mortem after the implementation of the project or activity, these are more of logical but how about those people who are more creative how does creativity also figure in leadership um greatly uh all these things that i'm talking about it may sound like i'm all about science and logic and that's true but i'm also a lifelong inventor i basically see fundamentally no distinction between science and logic and creativity. The creativity mostly comes into how you apply things, like saying, okay, we are better at comparing things one to another. So comparing one thing to another, then we are assigning an arbitrary number. So let's say it was an interview and you were interviewing me and three other people. You could assign a number to each of us but it would be far more accurate to say which one was better compared to the other now people might go oh no you can't do that but this is how our brains evolved right we had to know what was sweeter uh, or less sweet smelled worse or better that's how we survived how can the creativity comes into how do you apply things such as that to your real life business. How can I take that idea and turn it into a usable action in my business? So that's one part of it. And then creativity is all over the place. How do I decide to make my background? And creativity is most greatly served, and this is research back too, by the group. That is, there is no such thing as a solo genius. That sounds nice, but even for myself, who has done most of my creative work on my own, I have also taken input from everywhere. That is, mm -hmm. it doesn't come magically from inside. You look everywhere across every discipline, which is why you should have diverse interests and a diverse team. Now that goes into your diversity, equity, and inclusion. When you get into the science of it, creativity and the creative output and the quality of that creative output is research backed far superior if you have diverse teams. If you have things like psychological safety, where I can say to you, 
I'm sorry, but I completely disagree, but in a way that is respectful. People think that psychological safety is about making everybody feel good. And in mm -hmm. fact, you increase the probability of conflict in the short term instead of everybody being a yes man and woman going to the boss, you go, yeah. if you're safe to say to the boss, I'm sorry, but you don't know what you're talking about and you can back it up. Now, that goes into Ray Dalio's principles and he talks about that, that you should be able to safely object without repercussions. If you want the best results, you need to be able to put everybody's heads together and apply that creativity to making a specific, what I like to call a specific, concrete, immediate action, right? Mm -hmm. It's like all the theory is great, but how do you apply that to making your business better? How do you apply that to building your business culture intentionally? So that's where the creativity comes in. The group, diversity of experience and diversity of the team. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's this one, um, there's this one, um, what I saw on my feed on Facebook, if you're the smartest person in the room, you are in the wrong room. You don't want people always saying yes to whatever you say. And to your point, we need diversity of opinions. You need to surround your people coming from diverse backgrounds, different areas of expertise, because we have our own blind spots, right? So someone giving a different perspective is not necessarily challenging our position, but rather giving a different flavor to the conversation and helping us to cover all bases. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, I totally agree with that, that when you are the smartest person in the room, leave a room, leave the room and go find another room. <laughs> Strive to be the dumbest person in the room is a great rule of thumb. You may yes, not achieve yes. it, but if, if they, like you said, if you're constantly the smartest person in the room, then you want to be finding more relationships where people make you feel like, well, really what it comes down to is we don't know what we don't know. And that answers mm -hmm. to what you were just talking about, right? So uh, one of the ways to keep it psychologically safe on the comfort side is just to acknowledge that it isn't that I disagree with you, Tim, mm. you're not bad because you think that. I disagree with some aspect of your idea when you can depersonalize it and say, we're talking about this topic or this issue or this strategy, not about you as a person. And that takes uh, good leadership, scientific leadership and designing that in because if you use default, that is default culture, it basically becomes like the jungle. It becomes one upmanship. It becomes all the things that make a team dysfunctional, which yeah. is why leaders need to actually build a culture from the ground up. Like as soon as the employee walks in the door, you should have some sense of how things are done here. Not, oh, you just do your thing and, and everybody will be fine. Actually, no, we know what the results of that are. So. Yeah, absolutely. So now before we can actually even bring this creativity in leadership in our organization, of course, we need to be creative on an individual level. So how do we, how do we, if you are not innately creative, cultivate that creativity in ourselves? Um, I, I love that you asked that because creativity is based on what I said. So not only diversity in the team, diversity in the company, but diversity in ourselves. My main strategy is uh, beginner's mind, right? The whole idea, uh, shoshin no shin in Japanese, that basically seeing everything as a child, I think a great strategy for creativity is being around children, especially young children, like I, I teach young children I've, and I have taught young children English. I don't look at them as I'm the teacher, they're the student, they have nothing to teach me. A two-year-old gave me a better way to play a game because instead of putting their hands behind them 
and then pedaling their feet, which is like a abdominal exercise, they flipped over to the onto their backs and pedaled their feet in the air. It was like, wow. th thank you, sensei. So creativity is like an old prospector once told me, and, and that's a true thing. He said, gold is where you find it. Creativity is where you find it. So you want to look everywhere. You want to have that new perspective, that beginner's mind perspective, and you should pursue every single thing that's interesting to you and learn about it. So that is eclectic in both your recreation, but also in your self-education. I read mm -hmm. books on anything that interests me while they have a focus. If I see a book like, what was it? Uh, how do we know, are we smart enough to measure animal intelligence? It was a mm -hmm. TED talk sent to me by a student. It was like, you know, I think I disagree with that. I, I should probably read that book and find out what they have to say. And I did. And they gave me a neuroscience argument for me to go, hmm, that's very interesting. I have a more moderate and intermediate position about animal intelligence because there's always a debate as to can we think of animals as having emotions can we the word is anthrop anthropomorphize think of them as though the dog is feeling shy or ashamed and uh -huh. it argues that probably yes or probably to some degree whereas traditional psychology and neuroscience would say no 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 we can't be putting our perspective onto mm -hmm. animals and mm -hmm. it gave a compelling argument so yeah there's learn and experience as widely as you possibly can especially about anything you're curious about and foster mm -hmm. creativity as though you were a child yeah i or foster am, curiosity i am innately curious i think my problem is once i read an article or i listen to a talk and i want to know more about it my problem is how to stop myself from researching wildly uh wildly for another article or another talk that either refutes or confirms it so for example i click on a ted talk and then hmm, well that that brings some truth in in a sense but again like yourself let me find another another resource that either confirms it or disproves it and then before i knew it i'm already spending two to three hours <laughs> reading about the subject so i think that um it's it's a different thing altogether for me inverse right um i would say that's time well spent it's just a matter of balance yeah if you are not giving yourself or in fact prioritizing a certain amount of time for you to do things like that then you're taking away from your creativity i call it running down rabbit holes or going down the rabbit hole mm -hmm. uh, as somebody with adhd and people put a lot of information on that most of which isn't true living living with it and having a background in neuroscience i know what it really is but people go oh you have that oh poor boy it's like you wish you had it. It helps my creativity. Um, not that it isn't without challenges, but the point is allow yourself to run down rabbit holes, as you just talked about, but understand that that time isn't overtly practical. So allow for that, but allow to go, okay, well, I've just spent two hours doing this. Okay. That's enough for today. Or it's my day off. I can do this all day long and give yourself permission just the way you would with um, the work-life balance. Mm -hmm. You know, it's okay for you to spend three months of vacation if A, you can afford it and B, that will actually make you better when you do get back to work. So it's that balance. Indulge that curiosity, but it's mm -hmm. not the only thing you have to worry about. So be mindful of the other things you then need to do at a later time or a later day. Yeah. And again, as, as you have mentioned, make blocks of time where you can have downtime because we are not machines, we are people and we have our bursts of energy. Uh, I have this one technique that I have been using to help me with that. 
and that is Pomodoro technique. Usually, um, you can work on 90 minutes with after every 25 minute intervals, you can have a five minute break. And then after mm -hmm. the 90 minutes, you can have a longer break. So for those people like me who are having difficulty reminding yourself to be mindful, you can try to uh, research on Pomodoro technique. Mm -hmm. There are many videos. There's this one guy, I can't remember his name, but he has a lot of followers on YouTube. He's also based in Japan. Like he mm -hmm. has these videos, come study with me. And he has, you can see him reading a book, studying, and he's following the Pomodoro technique. It's helpful because he also has some soft background music uh, playing in the background. And uh, you feel that it's as if you're studying with him. I can't just right. recall his name. Sorry. <laughs> It's all good. It's all good. Videos. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up Pomodoro and timing because that gives me an opportunity. The principle and the idea of Pomodoro is totally solid. The time frames that people are using are arbitrary and I can find it because I've checked. I can find no scientific evidence around 25.5. In fact, the only evidence that I found suggested that 25.5 is probably the least productive schedule because there's other research out there, which I'm having problems finding, that says after you've been interrupted cognitively from one task to another, because single tasking is the reality of our brains, multitasking is a myth. So if it's true that it takes 25 minutes for your brain to get fully back on task, then that means doing something for 25 minutes or 20 minutes thereabouts that's what the i'm going to call it speculation that seems scientific but i can't find the evidence for that would mean it takes you 20 minutes to get back into the flow of your cognitive focus you do it for five minutes and then you take a five minute break which represents an interruption now you spend the next 20 minutes getting back to be fully focused so I would offer this as the only evidence I found specifically that the timeframes of Pomodoro are ar arbitrary and unscientific. The only mm -hmm. one that I found that is potentially, and I can't mm -hmm. guarantee this, but the closest thing I found to science on the subject was we have something called ultradian rhythms, which is their circadian rhythms, which is our sleep-wake cycle. Ultradian rhythms are the cycles within our day that are the same as our sleep and wake uh, or our dream dream cycle, right? We dream about every 90 minutes, 100 minutes. And that is change your Pomodoro to 90 minutes of productive time and 20 minutes of downtime. And the critical part about both the idea of Pomodoro and that recovery phase is that's not doing an easy work task. That's doing no work task watching cartoons, dancing, singing, doing something that is absolutely completely outside of the cognitive task you're doing. So mm -hmm. I would encourage you to try that, but I would also caution that I have found no evidence that you can in fact modify your ultradian rhythm. So if you wanted to probably do the strict test, you would have to, after waking up naturally without an alarm, click a timer and say okay i'm on my first 90 minutes of productivity because that's how you're that's how you sleep and wake right you come near the the high energy part of your wakefulness and then you go back down into deep dreamless sleep when you're awake you have a metabolic cycle that that matches that but it's alertness so your increase in alertness and metabolism goes up and then you have a 20 minute lull so can you just arbitrarily decide when to start and end? I don't know. All I can say is I would encourage you if you're going to use Pomodoro, 90 minutes productive, 20 minutes down, followed by 90 minutes productive, because at least that cycle is highly verified by science. Can you impose that? I don't know. But it's it's what I use when I do use Pomodoro, I tend to actually just go really hard until I'm really tired and then take uh, 
20 minutes to several hours off. I don't think that's the best. I think doing a Pomodoro style technique is best. I just haven't established that as a habit. I do have a timer on my phone for exactly that. 90 minutes of productive time and 20 minutes downtime, which I think is the closest that's scientifically verified I've found. Yeah, I'm all for experimentation. So I'll try, I'll try that new technique, 90 days of productive work and then 20 minutes downtime and see how, how it works for me. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Thing. Please give me your you feedback learn. because that's the same kind of thing, right? A sample group of one is unscientific. If we had 10,000 people try it, starting from their wake cycle and people starting it at random times, each doing it, and then we all reported together, that's where you get the genius of the crowd and the science, right? We could actually come up with something mm -hmm. that we could verify by a larger sample doing it. So yes, I would love to hear any experience you have, whether it works for you or not. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, I will, I will, I will let you know. All right, so we're close to the bottom of the hour. And um, I'm really loving this uh, conversation. What I like about this show is because we have a lot of people and we learn new things every week. So before we, um, before we say goodbye to our viewers, what are the three key things that you want to leave them with? Single tasking is a myth. Or sorry, multitasking is a myth. Focus mm -hmm. on one task at a time. Question mm -hmm. everything you hear on the internet that includes the word science. Don't just find another popular, even magazine, even respected magazine. Do some of your own research. Um, you want something that's repeated. So be open-minded, but skeptical and um, adaptive like you were talking about plans don't always go just be ready to to um change with change because it's inevitable just keep that compass in sight go that direction and change as necessary awesome i love that yes so we have been gifted with our reasoning with our brain don't just uh believe whatever you see or hear just because it's science you know I've been hearing since this pandemic, there's this what we call also earth science. So we have to be very careful about that. And always, always ask, who benefits? Or follow the money trail. Always, mm -hmm. always have this healthy dose, dose of skepticism. Thank you for those, yeah. um, Tim. And how can our viewers stay in touch with you, connect with you on social media, and find out more about your work? Um, the best place in terms of content that I've already got up, because I'm on, I believe today will be 292, later today. So I have 290 episodes of this. Oh, backwards. Here we go, using my brain backwards. Crush It Club, that's my uh, YouTube channel. So it's... Um, crush hyphen it hyphen club that's where i put most of my content about all things related to this and book reviews and other things like that so youtube is great um if you want to reach out to me directly you can get me at tim at crush hyphen it hyphen club.com mm -hmm. the best place to reach me though thank you awesome they're doing a great job of putting those up at the right time um is on linkedin that's the best place to reach me on an ongoing basis because that's where I'm most active mm -hmm. uh, in terms of sort of overall communication. And of course, they can look at my posts there, many of which are similar to or identical to the YouTube ones. But I also do a lot more uh, commentary on other people's work and interact mostly on that platform when it comes to social media. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And team out of the generosity of his heart is giving us uh, a gift so for those uh, of you dear viewers who have been with us this whole episode we are uh, we are also dropping the link to his mastery um habits mastery guide did i get the name correctly mastery habits guide it's a little okay, tricky okay okay yeah so you can get it from crashitclub.com also so 
Team, it's been wonderful. It's been great to have you with us today. Thank you very much for dropping in on the show. And we'll look forward to seeing most of your videos on YouTube and the Crush It Club in the future. So dear viewers, we hope that uh, you have been impacted positively by this conversation with Team Green. Tune in again next Thursday, December 1st. First week of December, 10.30 a.m. Philippine Standard Time for another episode of Stories from the Fringe. Thank you all for being here with us. Enjoy the rest of your day or evening, depending on where you are in the world. God bless everyone. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs>